Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Wednesday, May 27th. I'm your host, Jason Moser, and I'm joined as always, even though it's a Wednesday, by certified financial planner, Matt Frankel. Matt, it's a wild card Wednesday, but we weren't in the studio or even our virtual studio on Monday because of the holiday. So we decided to go ahead and take our financial show and bring that over to this wild card Wednesday because we just always love doing the financial show, Matt. I mean, we got a good thing going here and we want to do it every chance we can, right? Agree. Hopefully we'll be back in the actual studio before too, too long. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, it does. It, it sounds at least like things are moving in the right direction. Um, Virginia, the state of Virginia was was launched into phase one a couple of weeks ago, and, and the representatives from Northern Virginia felt like we weren't quite ready to make that leap. Um, so we were postponed for a little while, but it does sound like now as of Friday, we will be in Northern Virginia also entering phase one. Um, which I think everybody's excited about. I know my kids are excited. <laughs> my kids are excited just to see some progress. I mean, they're doing a bang up job, really carrying their own weight, doing the school thing at home. But, but you know, I mean, with kids, you get them separated from their friends. They just don't have that normal life. It's a challenge for everybody. I, I got to say. It is. And I mean, I, I live in an area that's almost reopened right now. Um, you know, we took the kids out to a restaurant the other night. And, oh, wow, man. I'm kind of jealous. Uh, and, and it was fine. Um, yeah. it, it, I mean, the servers are wearing masks, but other than that, everything feels pretty normal here. Yeah. I mean, it does feel like you can just take those normal precautions. I mean, you know, wear a mask where you can and just sort of keep a safe social distance. But if you, if you can take those normal precautions, it does seem like, does seem like things are starting to get better. So um, hopefully that trend will continue. Uh, but that's not what we're here to talk about today, folks. We are here to talk about financials. So on today's financial show, we're going to dig into the latest quarterly results from Stone Co., we're going to talk a little real estate. As always, we have a couple of stocks that we're watching this week. But Matt, let's start today by talking about what seems like the market's recent love affair with banks. The market was off on Monday, but Tuesday and even into today, uh, I mean, the market, the market on, on the whole, the market's been, been uh, performing quite nicely. But, but financials and banks in particular – seem to uh, be feeling a little a little extra boost there. Doesn't that, am I missing something? Yeah, well, you also have to remember that banks were pretty much the most beaten down part of the of the bad parts of the stock market uh, this year. Yeah. Um, this morning, the S&P was about 12% off of its all-time highs. Uh, the banking index was about 23% off of its all-time highs. So even, and that's including this week's big rebound. Yeah. So you're seeing um, kind of, the reasons that the banks fell so bad were because no one knows how long this is going to last. No one knows, you know, when, when government help dries up, how bad uh, loan defaults are going to get. Yeah. Um, no one knows how long un the unemployment rate is going to stay over 15%. Um, all those things that are really bad for banks, which is really what made them fall so badly in the beginning of the year, are now kind of serving as tailwinds as we start to reopen. And, and each, like, each day, a new worst case scenario seems like it's being avoided. Ah, uh, okay. So, I mean, basically, I guess that my observation at the beginning of the show, if things are starting, maybe if we're turning a little bit of a corner, we're seeing more optimism in the headlines. 
things could even be just even if they're getting a little bit better i mean that probably is going to have a little bit more of an outsized impact or effect on the banks given what they've suffered going into this right so on bad days when we have bad virus news especially you're going to see the banks move in the wrong direction and conversely when you see good news like you know the vaccine news we saw the other day you see um you know news that economies are starting to reopen a little faster i think new york just mentioned that they're planning to move into phase one next month yeah um which is I mean, and they were, they were ground zero for for this in america so yeah really was you're, you're really starting to see a wave of good news for the first time since early march which is what's fueling the optimism and banks are really the beneficiaries of it i mean i own a few bank stocks and that's been by far the best performing part of my portfolio um, and you're seeing you're seeing the the work from home stocks get kind of annihilated this week. Yeah, I, I did I did notice that. I mean, you are starting to see some of that some of that buying flowing out of those stay at home stocks. I mean, where you know companies like Zoom and and Teladoc and I mean, I guess maybe even DocuSign those those companies really it did seem like there was a flood of buying going into there. Um, probably seeing a little bit of a purging out there, a little bit of profit taking. I, I guess I mean that that certainly doesn't. Um, you know that's not business related, right? That seems a bit more market related. But yeah, as you said, I mean that 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 sentiment is is flowing from one side of the market to the other. It seems right. Well, I mean, you, and you got to remember, a, a worst case scenario for the economy is kind of a best case scenario for for Zoom or a company like that. Yeah. yeah. Where um, you know, if people are stuck in their houses for another year and have no choice but to use Zoom meetings that whole time. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a, a good, good tailwind. Um, and for for banks, it's kind of the opposite, where you're seeing the the reopening is kind of you know the best case scenario for banks because you know not only are people still going to be able to pay their bills, but you're going to see more loan demand. Consumer confidence was higher than expected, so you're going to see more people willing to spend money and take on debt, things like that. So it's it's a good environment. It's it's tra- it's slowly looking like we're going to have a good environment for banks on the tail end of this year. Yeah, and and we'll talk a little bit more about that loan demand in the housing market a little bit later in the show. I wanted to um, roll in a question we got here from a listener last week. Brian Long on Twitter, at BDark09, asked us, he said, guys, I was wondering if you could share your thoughts on why the regional banks like M&T Bank and Ameris Bank Corps are getting hit harder than the rest of the financials. Is it because they support small business? Thanks for all the help. And, and I will say, Matt, this question came in, again, I, I think it was maybe a week ago or so. So it was at a point where uh, the banks were feeling a little bit of a pinch, I think, on, you know, on the on the other side of this news when, when the uncertainty was a little bit higher. Um, and and as, as an Ameris Bank Corp shareholder myself and as one who's followed that company for a while, I mean, it, to me, it does strike me that, I mean, those are banks that are going to be a little bit more susceptible to these these sort of – challenging, challenging times for banks, simply because they're smaller, right? I mean, in, in banking, I mean, having that scale is a big advantage, isn't it? Well, it is. But the reason for those two in particular, it's not what you think it is. So here's some numbers. I, I mentioned the overall financial sector is down by 23% year to date. Uh, Ameris and M&T Bank are down 40% and 35%. Yeah. On the other hand, Bank of America is down 27%. Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley are each down only 10% year to date. So the, the big X factor there is that banks like Ameris and M&T Bank don't have investment banking, right? which is kind of what's helping banks like Bank of America and J.P. Morgan Chase kind of weather the storm a little bit better, because a lot of parts of investment banking actually do better when the market's going, going crazy. 
And that's a good um, point there. We saw that in those calls with those bigger banks. Their investment banking operations were shoring up some of the weakness in the other segments. Right. Look at even the big banks that don't have investment banking operations like Wells Fargo and U.S. Bancorp. Those are getting crushed. Um, I mean, Wells Fargo is down almost 50% year to date. So it's not just a size issue. U.S. banks down 37%, more than M&T. So, and that's just because they're primarily commercial banks. They make their money at the end of the day by loaning out money and making a profit on it. Yep. Whereas banks like you know Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley are pretty much exclusively investment banks, which is why they're outperforming the sector so much right now, because investment banking is actually a pretty good business during times like this. I think um, 09 was like the best environment for trading revenue that we've ever seen. Um, so not, not that we, anyone wants an 09 to happen again. But to answer your question, it's not because they have a small business focus. A lot of these banks have small business focuses. Um, I mean, Bank of America is a pretty big small business lender. Yeah. Uh, but it, the, the problem is that they don't have that investment banking division to offset the risk that's associated with a prolonged recession, bad unemployment, you know, high loan losses. Because if you're, if, say, your investment banking revenue goes up by $2 billion and you're, you know, you have $2 billion of loan losses from your consumer division, it's kind of a wash. But if you only have the losses from your consumer division, then it's bad. So that's kind of what you're seeing priced into these stocks. And that's why you're also seeing stocks like M&T and Ameris really rebound faster in the past few days than some of the bigger ones that didn't underperform. So it's, it's more of an investment banking versus not question. Yeah, and and to your point on small business, you know, Live Oak Bank, another another bank that we follow and and, and that we've uh, we've spoken with management there before. I mean, that really is. I mean, that's a business focused specifically on small business lending, and, and it's it's uh, you know, it doesn't have that um, it doesn't have that investment banking angle as well. And I mean, I guess you could ex- you could extrapolate this to a to a greater investing lesson in that you know these these bigger banks that have more diverse revenue streams. Are, are going to be a little bit better off because they have other other areas where they can sort of make up for for weakness and, and just as an in investing I mean we, we think you know maintaining a portfolio of, of diversified holdings you know, you're, you're gonna you're gonna have some that maybe don't perform as well as others in certain times but that's kind of the idea behind diversification is being able to spread some of that risk around so that so that you can weather uh, difficult storms and it seems like the big banks with those robust uh, investment banking operations you know that, that seems like they have sort of that nice sort of diversified investment portfolio so to speak yeah I mean investment banking is not just trading that's things like uh, it's it's IPOs and debt offerings especially are doing really well right now a yeah. lot of companies are raising capital through debt. Debt so is, and it seems like the IPOs have sort of fallen off a cliff. We haven't really seen many of those lately for, for understandable reasons. But yeah, that's a, that's another really good source. Yeah, well, I mean, and in most of the investment banks, IPO writing is actually smaller than the debt underwriting um, revenue that they bring in. So, you know, for example, if a hotel operator needs to raise $2 billion, they go to an investment bank to make a debt offering. Yep. And the investment bank gets a nice hefty fee for that. So you're seeing a lot of that kind of, you know, serve as a, you know, offsetting the the problems with the business for the, for these banks that have both. Yep, yep, that's that's uh, that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, well, let's move on to Stone Co. Stone Co. is the Latin American payment processor uh, in, in that fintech market that we love to talk so much about. And if you're a if you're a shareholder of Stone Co. today, you're feeling pretty good. Shares up around 27, 28 percent on what looks like. Uh, pretty good quarterly results. Now, it's been a difficult year before coming into today's 
release, the stock was down 33%. It's made up a lot of that ground today, Matt. Um, but you know, we, you and I have spoken before. We've talked about Stoneco. We had a show where we talked about Stoneco and Pogseguro in, in that in that space, and, and I think we also talked a little about uh, a little bit about Mercado Libre at that time. Um, you know, looking through the quarter, looking through the release there, I, I think the one thing that kind of stood out to me, the one thing that stands out to me with, with uh, Stoneco, it, but but they're not the only ones here. Is is really this is a Brazil story, so it's actually. I don't. I don't. I mean, it looked like it was a good quarter. I'm not surprised really at the market's reaction, uh, but it does seem for a business that is so levered to Brazil and knowing where we are right now with Brazil in this COVID-19 crisis. I mean, the things are getting worse there. It, it, it seems like, um, and management certainly made that point. They feel like this current quarter, the second quarter they're in now, is going to be their most difficult one. But what, uh, what, what did you think of those results? Did anything stand out to you? Well, the first thing I think is I wish I would have bought Stoneco about a month and a half ago when it was at like <laughs> 17 bucks. Uh, um, don't we all, Matt? Don't we all? So, and that's especially true today. I had been kicking myself a couple times in the past few weeks for <laughs> for hesitating. On there's a few stocks. Uh, Stoneco and uh, Melly is another one. Uh, Mercado yeah. Libre that I, yeah. I wanted. I almost bought in the 400s, and I said, eh, "Let me give it a minute." And now it's mm. 800 or something like that. Uh, but anyway, so <laughs> what I what my big takeaway is from the quarter. I mean, the numbers look great um, through the 15th of March. This is just before the the pandemic began. Um, not only did their total payment volume increase by 52% year over year, but that was actually better than the year over year increase in the same period in 2019. So not only are they growing, but they're accelerating. Um, Accelerating growth when you're at that level is really impressive. Um, In May, they grew their, um, up until their, you know, the earnings release. So far in May, their their, um, payment volumes up 23% year over year. So that's a slowdown, but they're not, I mean, people are still spending money and people are, and their their platform's still pretty healthy, so um, and they're they're also still very profitable. They had a twenty two percent net margin this quarter. Wow! Um, and the thing that really kind of reassured me, as a unfortunately not a Stone Co investor, but as someone who might invest <laughs> in the company at some point, um, what one thing that really reassured me was the discussion of their lending operation. Um, they're like think of them as kind of like a square capital, and they provide credit to businesses like that. Yeah, they spe- they're specifically avoiding this, the you know riskier businesses. They mentioned, for example, they don't loan any money to airlines. They don't own any money to seasonal businesses, um, things like that. So they're they're taking kind of a smart approach to it, unlike a lot of these fintechs that just kind of make business loans. Yeah. Um, so I don't see any. I mean, so far the management of Stoneco has not let me down once. <laughs> it, it's kind of the best way I would I should put it. Um, I need to repeat that to myself next time that the stock price really takes a dive for, for no great reason. But well, I mean, it's not. I mean, it's it's easier said than done, right? Hindsight's twenty twenty, uh, of course. Yeah, and no, I mean, I, I, I'm just seeing a comment right now that someone's in Brazil and Stone Co is huge in Brazil. They said it's it's, it's seriously like the square of Brazil. Yeah, I mean, um, this is a pure Brazil story. But even like Square Capital, they base their loans on just payment volume that a merchant gets, not what the not you know how risky they perceive the business to be. Sure. So it's kind of like a when I see something like that, I get why Berkshire Hathaway owns a lot of Stone Co. Like when when I see that kind of smart risk management. Yeah. Um, so it's for me, it's not about the numbers themselves; it's the steps they're taking to kind of you know make risk okay, so they come out on the other side, and their growth isn't going anywhere. So. With a company like this, they just need to make it to the other side and pretty unscathed, and they'll they'll do just fine long term. And I think that's what the market's taking away from this earnings release. 
Yeah, and and to your point there, you know, the one thing I noticed in reading through that that release, they were at the beginning of the year. I mean, they they are obviously a growth company. They're in growth mode. They're making those investments, and part of those investments, uh, they've been hiring a lot, right? They really had been hiring a lot going into this um, pandemic, and unfortunately, I mean, it's been a it's been a tough time for a lot of people on the on the employment front, and and they. Uh, I know it was a difficult decision for management, uh, but I mean, I did notice, I mean, they were sort of cutting 20% of their workforce. Um, in, in, in while that's obviously a hard, a hard pill to swallow for folks in need of a job, I mean, what it does also, it really right-sizes the business, it right-sizes that cost structure so that, they, so that they're able to keep that expense line under control. Uh, so they're not only managing the risk side of the business, and they're not only uh, managing that that total payments volume side of the business, but they're also managing that cost structure of the business, the actual, um, you know, the actual overhead there in the form in the form of jobs. I mean, when you start getting bloated, um, that can be really difficult. I mean, we saw a little bit of different business, but earlier in the year, uh, or uh, maybe it was last year, late last year, but but Wayfair, uh, remember Wayfair was. Um, they basically had to do the same thing, right? I mean, it, it was less it was less a problem with the business. It was just it was bloated. They had to cut somewhere in the neighborhood of 600 jobs. And while you hate to see people losing jobs from a business perspective, it's hard to argue against it, right? You got to keep the business. You got to keep that business right size in order to make the uh, to make the cost structure work. And it seems like in Stone Coast case, they they're keeping a focus on that. They are, like I said, the the whole the tone of the whole earnings report just really screams responsible management to me. Man, that's, um, I think and, a good, good word there is responsible. You know, being able to make the tough decisions is important in business. And it just seems like they, even before this, they really set themselves up to, I mean, no, no one set themselves up to be able to really thrive in a situation like this, Yeah. except maybe like a Zoom or something like that. Yeah. But they, they set themselves up so you know, they would survive a black swan event like this pretty, pretty well. Yep. Absolutely. So to all you Stone Coast shareholders out there, congratulations on a good day. And it does look like uh, it does look like there are still plenty of good days to come. So, um, you know, keep 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 focused on the forest and not the trees there. Uh, Matt, let's jump into real estate a little bit. You you are a part of our real estate team here at The Motley Fool with Million Acres and our in our uh, service mogul. Um, we, we were looking through some of this data here recently. New home sales rose in April. Uh, versus the expectations of, of really, I think there were a lot of expectations out there for, for some, some, I mean, a massive drop in, in home sales. Um, and then we also saw, saw news here today that mortgage applications are also up 9% from a year ago and from, um, from the previous week. So, it, you know, it does seem like for a market that was, was set up to get hit pretty hard in housing, it's not necessarily been hit as hard as people thought it might have been. Well, no, and a lot of that has to do with kind of the overall theme of this crisis that the government's just printing trillions and trillions of dollars and pumping it into the system. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, if, if if people who are unemployed are making, you know, in a lot of cases, more money being unemployed than when they were working, it's pretty easy to pay your mortgage. Yeah. Um, and so you're not seeing home prices fall like a lot of people thought they were. Um, you're not seeing mortgage demand drop as a lot of people thought it was. And just, first of all, just to clarify, we said home sales rose in April. They rose, yeah. they, they rose up compared to March. And they're still right. way down year over year, it's worth pointing out. Yeah. Um, but it was expected to be down 22% from March. So that's a big surprise still. Sure. Um, the, the big thing to know about that is it's really a shift in the type of homes that are selling. 
you're seeing a lot of, in other words, in the, specifically the lower end of the market is selling a lot better. Um, the median home price out of those new homes was down over 8% this year. Um, homes under $300,000 are selling really well. Homes above $500,000 are not selling very well at all. Yeah. So you're seeing a lot of, you know, this could be a lot of first time home buyers coming into the market. It could be a lot of people trying to downsize a little bit given the economy. So there's a lot of potential explanations. Um, and in the mortgage side of things, it's not that surprising that people are viewing this as a good time to either refinance or buy a new home. Um, I mean, the average mortgage rate is about 3.4% right now, which I don't know what your mortgage is at, but it, it's not 3.4%. <laughs> it's not quite that low. Mine's it's not. low, but I'm looking at refinancing already, and I mean, it's it's already low as it is. Well, get get in line. Refinancing volume's up 176% year over year. Yeah, um, so so you're not the only one who would think that. Um, <laughs> but purchase volumes up nine percent year over year, which that that's the thing that really stood out to me as a surprise. That people are buying, yeah. or I'm sorry, up from a week ago and up fifty four percent since the beginning of April, which is really impressive. That so is. people are, you know, getting back and people were cautious and kind of pumped the brakes on their home searches. But I mean, it, it sounds like people are coming back into the economy. This, this is just kind of a the theme we're seeing with the overall economy, like purchase credit card volumes are starting to tick up a little bit. We're seeing more people travel slowly, but surely. Um, it seems like people are coming back into the economy and real estate's not an exception. Well, let's hope that continues and let's hope everybody can stay healthy in the process. Uh, you know, we fell a long way in a short period of time and uh, to see things recovering, regardless of how we're getting there, um, you know, I mean, you, you kind of say you got to pull out all the stops and just help the recovery and then clean up the mess afterwards. And uh, I feel like I feel like maybe we're, we're on the right path. But, but certainly those numbers speak to that as well. Uh, OK, Matt, before we sign off today, we, as always, want to throw a couple of stocks up on our radar stocks that we're watching this week. Um you know, earnings season has more or less come to a close, but there's still a few laggers out there that are uh, reporting late. Uh, what's the stock that you're watching uh, over the next few days? Well, mine reported earnings already, and it's a bank stock that I recently bought, uh, U.S. Bancorp. I mentioned them already. Yeah. Um, people who've listened to our show for a while know that I'm always talking about Bank of America as my biggest bank stock investment. Um, yeah. I think I've used that as my one to watch more than I'm legally allowed to. <laughs> so, um, but... U.S. Bancorp is one I've always really admired, but valuation has been a big obstacle. Um, up until you know this year, U.S. Bancorp consistently trades for well over double its book value. And that's always um, been a big Berkshire holding too, hasn't it? Right. It's a big Berkshire holding. Yeah. Um, it was actually the only big bank – I'm pretty sure about this. They were the only big bank that never – their earnings never went negative during the financial crisis. Which, wow. So they're a very, they have very high asset quality, extremely high, which is – what so. Their valuation has been justified. I've just kind of thought that there have been better places to put my money in banking. Yeah. But now, I'm, I mean, U.S. Bancorp's been almost cut in half during this the pandemic. Um, and I finally decided to pull the trigger. And, and, I, <laughs> and I, I bet pretty big. I mean, normally when I buy a stock for the first time, I don't go all in. But I pretty much bought, you know, a full position in U.S. Bancorp when this happened. So, and, I, and I'm watching to see how their earnings turn out for the second quarter because I don't think it's going to be nearly as bad as expected. 
conviction buy. I like it. I love the conviction. Hey, I I put my money where my mouth is, man. That's what you got to do in this long (laughs) line of work, Matt. You want people to take you seriously, bud. (laughs) Uh, Well, I am going to take a little bit of a different tack here. I'm actually watching Ulta Beauty. Um, Their earnings come out tomorrow. And, you know, to me, the reason why I'm focused on this business, I mean, Ulta, Ulta's a, it's a good business, right? I mean, the cosmetics and makeup market, granted, I don't really have a whole heck of a lot of experience shopping for it, but I, I do have a house full of girls here, and, and I see um, how they shop for it, and, and how important you know it is in in their day to day. And so, I mean, it is a big market opportunity and a fairly resilient market. Um, it, obviously, with the pandemic and everything being closed down, one of Ulta's bigger advantages was having those on site um, salons. Uh, which, which obviously that traffic ceased to exist, but that that wasn't that's not the only part of the business. It's not the only dynamic of the business. I mean, they do have a uh, an e-commerce side of the business as well, um, and, and a lot of relationships with with folks out in the industry. So for me, it's gonna be, I'm gonna be really interested to see their take on the state of the consumer as they begin opening their stores back up. Um, you know, they are slowly but surely opening them back up, and you know, to me. They always they they always just seem to be they give they give you a good sign as to how the consumer is feeling and if they're starting to see uh, folks willing to to come back into the stores and uh, you know go to the salons for appointments and whatnot I mean I think that'll just give us a better idea of of maybe what we can look forward to here in the back half of the year assuming things keep progressing the way they do so I'll be keeping an eye on Ulta beauty here earnings later this week but matt i think that's going to do it for us this week appreciate you uh as always jumping in and talking shop with me of course hopefully if like i said i get to see you soon i always say this every week but hopefully i get to see you guys in person soon sooner than, sooner rather than later we'll, we'll keep we'll work on it we'll work on it as hard as we can and remember folks you can always reach out to us on twitter at mf industry focus you can drop us an email at industryfocus at fool.com and let us know how things are going. Let us know the stocks you're buying. You can tell us the stocks that you're selling. Or, hey, I mean, throw a show idea or, or, or two in there. If we get a stock you want us to do a deep dive on, we uh, I can't promise you we'll get to them all, but we certainly do appreciate the idea generation. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to our man, Austin Morgan, for making the magic happen behind the Zoom. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.